Wonder how that woman came up with her cool idea and turned it into a business? Listen in to find out how. Welcome to Women Inspired. I'm your host, Linda Ugalo. And on the show, I speak with artists, healers, changemakers, and entrepreneurs about how to put their dreams into action. And today, I'm really excited to have with us a speaker, a singer, a voice and speech specialist, Gina Rasson. Hi, Thanks Linda. for being here. Thanks for having me. I don't know where to begin. I mean, it all seems so interesting to me that you work with people's voices, you work with your own voice, you work with people who are getting up on stage. And so how did you get into this? How did you become interested in the human voice and well, working with people? I started singing um, probably at birth. Um, I became very interested in opera when I was around 13 years old and I decided to study opera. So I went through a conservatory program through high school in tandem with my high school. I went through university. I got a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in voice performance and en route I started teaching just singing voice. What ended up happening is that people would send friends to me or friends of friends to me, um, authors or lawyers, teachers, public speakers that were having just slight difficulties with speaking, usually getting hoarse when they really couldn't afford to be hoarse or losing their voice in inconvenient times, just not feeling comfortable with their voice use when they were just doing their everyday job. And so I found myself suddenly a speech teacher and I formalized that when I created Grow Voice which is my business now in Boston. Grow Voice. Yes. That's, that's great because it's, tell us about the, why you chose that name. Well, I, it, it's very interesting. When I first started out, I had an opera company called Gina Rizone Opera Works, which happens to be the acronym GROW. So I always used to think that I was going to grow where I was planted and that my opera company would be how I would put myself on stage. But it started to mean something very different to me. So as I was creating my teaching practice, I really wanted to keep that history and this new meaning of why should I be the only person who grows where I'm planted. 98% of the population has no reason why they couldn't speak and sing with their most beautiful sound. Mm, I love that to speak and sing with their most beautiful sound. Yeah, the, the voice is very democratic. You know, there are people who have obviously physical problems that cause their voices to not function. There are people who really can't speak at all. For the rest of us, there's training. Mm. So I find that it's easy for many people to just say, well, I don't like my voice. My voice is not good. Um, my voice is never going to be good. And to find that acceptable, and I want to tell people why. Why would you find that acceptable? Your voice is this personification of you. It's you in sound. So why shouldn't you love it? So why is it important for people to love their voices or to learn how to use their voices? Like you mentioned people might find they're stressing their, their voice so they lose it when they're at work or Tell us more. Well, there are two components. There's voice misuse, which many of us who are working in the public using our voices tend to have these problems where there's not enough airflow for speaking and you could get 
you know, minor things like not enough air means that you're having to push musculature to make the sound come out, which of course is tiring. It's just fatiguing. Some people develop bigger problems because of that. They develop irritations on the vocal cords themselves because of how they're misusing their voice. And those things can be pretty minor to I'm tired at the end of the teaching day or I'm tired when I got home from court or after I gave a speech. But for some people, they're quite dire. They have a big presentation and no sound will come out. Mm. Um, so those are, uh, those are kind of very extreme situations, but we have people who just would never volunteer to give the presentation, would never volunteer to be the person in front of the room because they don't trust the instrument that's coming out of their mouth. Mm. So by not trusting the instrument that comes out of your mouth, you actually will hold yourself back from taking opportunities to share your message, to to speak in front of a crowd. To connect. To connect with people. Yeah, it's, for me, I, my, my only real belief system is that I believe in the power of the human voice. It connects us in such an incredible way. Right now, you and I are only able to have this conversation because we're using these gifts that we just had inherent within our bodies mm. in order to kind of exchange ideas and get to know each other a little better. So why would I say, oh, what would have happened if I had said, oh, I can't possibly go on that show. My voice isn't good enough to go on that show. I couldn't possibly have a microphone anywhere near my head. It's very limiting and it, it ends connection mm -hmm. before it even has a chance to bloom. Mm. Yes, yes. So you mentioned, um, so you work with a lot of professionals. I do. Uh, who else do you work with? I work with a lot of authors. Um, it's interesting, most authors do their work in private, and then they find that they have to go on book tour and to conventions and present and talk about their different writings and go to Q&As. And um, I started in that process because one of my good friends got published. And off she was to conventions and, and book signings and all sorts of places where her voice was not prepared to project her personality and her ideas. So she arrived one day saying, I lost my voice in the middle of a Q&A, and she was mortified, mm. absolutely mortified. So we helped her so that that has never happened again. She's now in her 10th year as a published author, and she knows she can trust her voice when she approaches uh, someone who likes her, someone who doesn't like her, a fan, um, someone asking easy questions or contentious questions. She just never questions what her voice is going to do in that moment. So that's really interesting that you just brought up, you know, it doesn't matter if someone is asking an easy question or a contentious question. Correct. How does that, would that affect your voice? I think a lot of people wouldn't even consider that their voice would change or have a different response depending on the type of question or the energy behind the question. Well, I think I, I'm, I'm hinting at something that everybody inherently knows. One of the reasons that people have these doubts about their voices is because it's tied within the body. There is no voice in isolation of the human body. So when you're in a situation where your adrenaline might come into your system, where you are concerned for your safety, or somebody has made you angry, or in any other way emotional, now you're not just dealing with how much air do I have and what am I going to say, now you have the body bringing all of these enzymes and hormones on board to talk to you about how you should feel about that. 
So the voice never operates in isolation, which is both the terrifying thing about using the voice and the gift of the voice. Say more about the gift. Well, I can tell you my story and show you my emotion about that story solely with the tone that my voice is giving you right now. But my voice isn't creating that tone by itself. I'm giving it air and my body is supplying it with all of the memory that it can muster. It's actually giving me doses of drugs that remind me of those things that make the voice so important to me. Hmm. So are you saying that by having these emotions as you tell a story that it actually kind of creates a different tonality or absolutely emotion like just as I'm saying you know it absolutely we are, are the vocal instrument does not live in isolation to the body that it lives in so when I tell you something if I try to very apathetically tell you uh, I am from the Dominican Republic, or my family was from the Dominican Republic, and be very kind of circumstant about that. I'm holding back all sorts of stuff, and my throat is actually tightening because of that. But if I remember how beautiful the Dominican Republic is, I am happier, my tone just changed, my face, is, everything changed, and now my throat is no longer getting tight because nothing is being held back. Mm. Humans love to live in a state of held back, but it's not our natural state. Hmm. What's our natural state? Oh, I think our natural state is to connect. You know, it, it doesn't take um, much more than finding people that are your people, people that you sit in front of and they get you or, or you feel like they're accepting you for you to understand what community between humans is. Now I posit if we talked more and sung more, that the community is much bigger than we even think it is. There are people with the potential to get you, to understand you, as long as we could be open to listening and getting them and understanding them. And now the tent is bigger. Mm. I have this, uh, this kind of grander societal yes. um, <laughs> overarching thing. Yes. I, I really do believe that vocal communication is the key to many, many doors. Mm. That's beautiful. So you mentioned singing as well. You're yeah. not just a, a speech specialist. Correct. You're a vocal coach as well for Correct. singing. And tell, tell me about your, you know, what kind of genres do you work in? What, what is your, you mentioned opera. Yes, and I do teach um, classical singing mm -hmm. to uh, students. I don't have any pursuing opera right at the moment, but um, that is an extension of classical singing, kind of the, Olymp the Olympics of classical singing, as it were. I also have te uh, I teach music theater style, so I have many students that are uh, in different areas of music theater. Music theater is kind of a big tent. There's you know kind of more legitimate, what we call legit music theater, or kind of golden age music theater, where people sang very lyrically, not dissimilarly from what classical singing is doing. And then now music theater is getting more pop driven, more rock driven. So we have to kind of stretch that technique pretty far mm -hmm. these days. And I do have students who are strictly pop singers as mm -hmm. well. 
Mm -hmm. And what about you? What is the style that you sing in these days? Uh, primarily I am a classical singer. However, um, I am a gigging artist. So every year I choose three programs that I'm doing in repertory and I sell them to different private organizations. So at the moment I am performing Ria de Ria, which is an Edith Piaf program where I actually impersonate Edith. And, and e, tell us about Edith. Oh, Edith Piaf was such an interesting person. She was her her father she was abandoned by her mother her her father left her in the care of his mother who happened to run a brothel when she was really really young um, and she grew up surrounded by these women of the night and she was an incredibly religious person despite this she lost her vision uh, early on in her childhood and believes that her vision was restored to her through prayers that she was able to do to uh, one of the saints in order to get her vision back. But she had a very tumultuous life. She didn't train much vocally, much more than training expression, but she had this raw, powerful sound, and it propelled her through her life, even when she didn't want to keep going on. And of course, she died tragically young because of drug, drug abuse and situations, um, mostly stemming from loss, mm. you know, losing the mother, losing the father eventually, losing the love of her life. Mm. So it's a, it was a life lived fully and painfully and full speed. Hmm. So you are doing a program now of her music. Absolutely. Could we hear something? Absolutely. I love that. Okay. So I'm going to sing you a little bit uh, Rien de Rien, which is the title piece of the song. Uh, the title piece of the program. And that means nothing. It means nothing of nothing. It actually, literally, the song is about having absolutely no regrets. No, rien, rien. No, je ne regrette rien. Ni le bien qu'on me fait, ni le mal. Tout ça m'est bien égal. No, rien, rien. No, je ne regrette rien. Car ma vie, car ma joie, aujourd'hui, ça commence avec toi. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's amazing. So she is from France. She is from That's France. I recognize some of the words from. A little bit of French that I know. Excellent. Probably as little French as I know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I, I get what you mean by that raw sound and powerful. Yeah. It's very different production from classical singing, but I, I kind of I respect and trust my throat. Mm -hmm. you give it the space and give it the air and don't get too neurotic about the rest. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's it's wild. So it must be a lot of fun to sing in these different styles. It really is. It, it really is. Um, once I trusted that I could go there, mm -hmm. it takes uh, two things, understanding the vocal instrument, understanding you know the structure of it, and just trying it mm -hmm. and being willing to fail at it, because I did many, many times before I find the, found the right places for each of the styles. Well, I love that you say that, being willing to fail, because that must be an important feature. Oh yeah, 
Tell, say something more about that. Well, I think uh, one of the things to understand about singing in particular is that it's learning to play an instrument that you're perhaps unfamiliar with or that you're not sure you're familiar with. Of course, it's your oldest and dearest friend, but you don't necessarily know that as you're approaching your singing. So you have to figure out how to play this instrument you can't see. So how are you going to do that? By feel. And just like when you're feeling your way around a strange room, you're going to bump your toe a few times, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. So being willing to fail. Absolutely. Yeah, it's such a metaphor for life too, isn't it? Oh yes. I, I think everything I know about being a human I learned in my throat. <laughs> oh, that's a really interesting thing. Well, can you give us an example? Well, I, I think it's... Uh, for me, op having my throat open and available for receiving air to make sound is such a big deal. Um, I grew up with a very tight, compressed throat. I had a lot of tension. I had a, life, a lot of life challenges growing up. And so my general stance was hold, just grip the throat and try really hard to pass, to be okay, to be accepted by those around you as being together. Mm -hmm. That presentation of, I must look like I have it together. Mm -hmm. And then when I let that go and opened up my throat, suddenly I'm myself. And that was rocky and scary and wonderful and everything. So when you say needing to be accepted, was that from coming from the Dominican Republic and moving to the U.S., or where do you think that sense came from of not being accepted? Or Well, I, I actually was born in New York, so oh, okay. um, my family's from the Dominican Republic. We did go back and forth somewhat. It wasn't so much not being accepted in uh, as, an, as an immigrant in the United States. That wasn't the case. It was more being too light-skinned and a little bit too different to be truly part of my Dominican community, but being also too Dominican to be part of another community. Mm. So it really felt for a long time like I was walking a line. Mm -hmm. And now I realize that I could have my foot on both sides of that line and it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, all of the iterations of me are mine. And it was all reflected, as you say, in your voice. Yes. So do you feel that our experiences are often reflected in our voice? Would you say that's true? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I always tell my students who are having a hard time really expanding the throat that they need to think about the things they haven't said, the things they wanted to say, the things they thought were secret, the things that needed to be held. Because those are the usual culprits. You know, I'm not a psychotherapist. I don't really need you to tell me what those things are. I'm not, um, I would say that I, you don't owe me anything. You don't owe me your story. You don't owe me your substance, but you do owe you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you invite people to do their own investigations, Absolutely. their own exploration. And I, I, I will take that information. If somebody really needs to tell it to someone, I can accept it. I can sit there and be that someone, mm -hmm. but I don't need to be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, a lot of my singers, especially the pop artists, uh, they always think they have to open a vein for, for their audience, and I'm like, you owe that to no one, and the artists who do burn out 
terribly. What do you mean by opening a vein? Oh, like uh, this is my pain. I am not only going to write a song that tells you about my pain, but I'm going to show you all of my pain. And you know, it's visceral, it's exciting. People love to see that, but at what cost? What is the cost? Uh, the cost is that you've not actually protected yourself. You know, just letting it out doesn't help you say, what was that? So it's almost important that you let it out to yourself before you put it on display. You want to put it on display then, by all means. But it's really about understanding your whys before you try to declare them. So what do you mean by understanding your whys? So if someone is singing in a particular style, or if they're holding um, a lot of energy, a negative energy in particular, or let's say they were in, abusive, in an abusive relationship and they want to write a song about that abusive relationship and they want to put that song through the tension that's in their throat to percussively tell me about the abusive situation. Does that sound exciting? Sure. I can hear the abuse, but you're still abusing yourself because your throat's not open. You haven't accepted what happened. You haven't let your body accept the space for that. Mm -hmm. So you're showing it, you're displaying it, but you're not healing it. Mm -hmm. And the instrument is part of the body. You can't separate these two things. Mm -hmm. But those artists know they're doing it. They, they get sore throats and lose their voices and wonder why their voice isn't responding and their voice is talking. Mm -hmm. So as an artist yourself, as a singer, what have been the challenges in putting your art out as, you know, we hear the cliche, the starving artist, for instance. Yes. What are some of your thoughts around that? I think it's very easy to be a starving artist. Um, the industries that were once built up to maybe catch a classical artist in particular are no longer really there. There isn't a good funnel for getting our beautiful young classical teens through college into a career that actually works. There are many conservatory programs, many of them giving wonderful training, but that transition from being a star collegiate singer to becoming a professional opera singer, with all the programs we have, they're not really there. So when we think about it, what we, have is a situation where we have the talent going into the funnel. The funnel doesn't go anywhere. So my opinion on the matter is that you can't wait for the funnel to save you. You have to see what it is that you do. I stopped really pursuing main stage opera work when I realized I wasn't going to be able to make a living there. So now I produce my programs, I sell them to people who are very happy to buy them and to receive them, and I make my living. So so you found an alternate economy. Yes, and there is a vast alternate economy for all sorts of genres of uh, professional arts. So you see dancers that are creating all sorts of different art, art form in different places, different visual artists. Uh, my husband went to a pen and ink class um, in a public uh, coffee shop that an artist had put forward in order to project his work. And of course, people bought his art as well. It's just trying to think about it in a non-traditional way and being absolutely certain of one thing. No one is coming to save you. If you want to be an artist in this economy, you have to figure out where you fit in it.
Can you describe the what you've created and who you who you bring your singing to? I actually have a kind of a varied, uh, broad varied base of clientele. Many of them are retirement facilities, so I'll come in either for some of them have theaters, some of them are quite large. I'll come in for all of the residents or just for the assisted living unit. I come into corporations as well, just as a little reprieve for their employees. Sometimes as part of a bigger event that they're having, such as an annual meeting or some other type of convention where they just need entertainment to break up the day. Mm -hmm. um, I've also been in the penitentiary system, so I've gone into jails before. I haven't done that here in Massachusetts yet, but I've gone into jails and just done a program to kind of give a little bit of light in those situations. I, I often think that the singing voice can open a window where there is no light. Mm. Yeah, that's great. So what would you, if you were to advise an artist or singer in particular, who's just at the beginning of their career, what would you say to Know what it is you want to get out of your career. What will mean success for you? Know it and then know what you will do if that doesn't work. I, I, one of the things that I think I didn't realize while I was going through my undergraduate career that not only would I need a plan B, but a plan C and a plan D, and that the iterations in a lifetime as an artist don't stop. Mm. Mm -hmm. So do you feel that where you are now, you've managed to find something that's really working for you? I think what I've found is that I like reiterating. Oh. What I found is that I am okay with shifting and finding new places and seeing what my voice finds interesting and giving voice to things I find interesting. Very nice. Thank you. Yes. So I have a box here Ooh. of cards. I call it a wild card pick and I'd love for you to pick one and to riff on it a little bit. Okay. What you feel relates to your work or your life. Playfulness. Oh, too easy. <laughs> so I I try very hard uh, to enter play to have playfulness as part of my life. Um, sometimes singing can be very serious. It's very strange how many singers let themselves get very focused on these two little pieces of tissue and musculature, and uh, let them rule the entire life. But I feel like playfulness is where we find who we are as artists, where we find that sense of joy in it. You know, the sense of play has to be part of everything. Even if I'm coaching a speaker, if there isn't that sense of what, where's your joy here? You know, if you're, even if you're giving a dry talk, if your talk is about accounting, if you think it's boring, it's certain that your audience will think it's boring. But if you say, no, I don't think it's boring, I just think people believe it's boring. Well, certainly if that's what you're delivering, but where's the play? What do you like in it? Where, where, what gets that little boyish glint in your eye? What makes you feel like you're a five-year-old doing something naughty? <laughs> and that's where we find the interest in the conversation. That's very, that's, that's a great image. I love that. Where do you feel, where's that five-year-old that's a little naughty? Yeah, they have to be That's there. That's great. That's great. Well, I am so thrilled that you came on. Thank you so much for your music, for all of your thoughts about voice and life. 
Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity to talk to you and get to know you a little bit better, which is wonderful. Yeah, and what's last thing is where can people find you? You can find me at growvoice.com. So it's a G-R-O-W voice.com. That's great. So hope that people come check you out. I hope so. And open and up their voice. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be me. This is not rocket science. Just find a coach that understands basic anatomy and be willing to fail. Beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in to Women Inspired. And be sure to come on the next episode. Thank you for listening to Women Inspired. The show is recorded live in the studios of Bedford TV in Massachusetts. Music courtesy of Sheik Gamin. If you like this episode, please leave a review or comment. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or watch all the TV episodes of Women Inspired with the show notes and links at www.lindayugalo.com forward slash TV.